Come on. Come on, well, guys, what a treat it's been for Alexander and I to be with you this weekend. It is it's absolutely been a treat. It's been special. You guys are an inspiration. You guys have some awesome campus ministries and campus ministers down here. That's true. Some awesome worship this morning. And you guys got awesome hearts. You love God, I can tell. It, it's, it's clear, it's apparent. Check it out, we're packing it out all the way in the back. Y'all can hear us, right? Y'all are in this, well, you know, truth be told, sometimes when I fly through airports, I always pick something up and I got sick on the way here. And, and I woke up this morning and my voice was totally gone, which is probably not a shock for those of you who were at the ICMC last year. And, uh, and so, so if I open the word and if I dig in right here, I know y'all are tired, but I'm losing my voice. If I open the word, will you guys stay here for a little bit longer and dig in with me? All right, all right. Let's go to Luke chapter 21. Uh, you know, it's been great this weekend. We've been talking about walking in Jesus' steps, and, and we talked about really being at the crossroads of the cross. And I know that's a decision a lot of you have already made, but, you know, tr truth be told, at every age and stage of, of my life, I've had to figure out, once again, how to really make Jesus Lord. And, and I know that hopefully that's probably been what this weekend has been like for a lot of you, and especially for those of you who are studying the Bible and, and trying to figure out your relationship with God right now. You've been standing at the crossroads making that decision. My wife did a great lesson yesterday for the women. And, uh, and, you know, for the men, we talked about standing firm yesterday. We talked about standing firm and having deep convictions. And my sermon for you guys this morning is stand up, stand up for Jesus. You know, I don't know what it's like down here in the South, but up, up north in the city of Boston, these days, you got a lot of people standing up, talking about a lot of things, getting up on Facebook, giving a lot of their opinions, and when you go on campus, there's a, there's a lot of people around you saying a lot of stuff, but we got to have some people standing up for Jesus. Are you with me? And we've been making decisions this weekend, and where it's all going to end, if you're going to walk in Jesus' footsteps... You got to leave this weekend, and you got to go and, and take some stands for Jesus. Right. At some point, you just got to decide, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to get out of my chair, and I'm going to stand up for Jesus. Look at Luke 21 here. Come on, bro. You know, it was, I thought it was really cool being able to just study out 1 Peter this weekend. For the brothers, we, we looked at a ton of passages in 1 Peter yesterday, and, and I'm sure in all the classes which you guys got to go to, you're studying that out. And, uh, and I thought it was really awesome also on Friday night to just look at the word and look at the story of Peter and where he began and the crossroads that he was at. We're going to look a little bit right now. So what happened next with Peter? You know, Luke 21. <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 12. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles. And he says, but, but before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. 
They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. Don't you wish it was just you will win at life? Doesn't it seem like that's what it should say right there? Jesus says, if you just stand firm to the end, you'll win life. You know, what was Jesus' expectation of the apostles here? That when he was gone, they would take some stands for him. You know, I remember one of my, one of me and Tom's good friends was, was getting married right when we were at the very end of college. And... And we all went to his house. His name's John Buckles. He leads the church in Milan, Italy right now. And we, you know, he was getting married, and him and his wife, Rachel, we, we went to John's parents' house and spent the weekend there before his wedding. He was the first of all our friends to get married. We were having a blast, and I was a groomsman. Tom was a groomsman. We were just having a, just a wicked fun weekend. And I went out to go run an errand, and I was walking down John's driveway to my car. And across the street, in the driveway across the street, thanks, Jordan, there was, there was a, uh, a guy arguing outside of his house. This, this like teenager was arguing outside of his house with his girlfriend. And he was screaming at her and he was yelling at her. And, you know, then he, then he, she turned around to go run into her house and he like grabbed her by the arm. And pulled her back and started, you know, and at that moment, I was right across the street coming down the driveway watching all this going, what's going on? And when he did that, I went, hey, 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 dude, don't do that, dude. And, and she, he let go of her and he looked at me and she looked and ran away and ran into the house. And at that moment, he turned and he came over towards me. And, you know, he starts walking across the street. He was this, this tall, skinny little white dude walking over towards me. <laughs> He's wearing a tank top and that, you know, pretty much that's it. Big cargo shorts. You know what I'm talking about. And he comes walking over to me. And, uh, yeah, we got Reg next up north too. We got him. And that's pretty much what he was right there. And he comes walking over to me. And, 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 and so my buddy Niles was waiting at the car. We were about to go together. And I'm like, oh, dang. It's, it's about to go down. And I look at Niles and I kind of nod like, dude, come over here. So Niles starts walking over, and then this dude stops, and he turns to his car, he's like, Johnny, get out of the car, get out of the car. So his buddy gets out, and he's like, you know, uh, he's like, I do not want to fight with my dude right now, and he kind of comes over with his hands in his pockets. This dude comes over, and he rips off his tank top and gets in my face, and he's all like, what you saying, Chief? What you say that for, Chief? Will you want some of this? And I'm like, I'm like, Okay, one, one, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Two, 
You know, if I show up to John and Rachel's wedding with a black eye and a big lip tomorrow, that's not going to be a good thing. Rachel's going to kill me. And I was like, all right, what do I do? Let's defuse the situation. I go, dude, yo, hey, listen, man. In no way at all am I looking to fight you right now. And that really chilled him out. You know, that, that worked right there. And, and I talked him down. And, you know, I'm like, dude, you can't be putting your hands on your girlfriend like that. And he was like, all right, man, well, you know, just be careful when you get in other people's business, all right? You know, and I was just like, be gone, wannabe. I'm like, all right, man, see you later, dude. And he walks away, and I was just glad his girlfriend was able to run away, right? You know, and you feel the adrenaline, and you're like, oh, my goodness. And me and Niles, we turn to walk away, and I turn around, and who's sitting under a tree reading a book but Tom McGurk? <laughs> And I look at Tom, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he said, dude, I was just about to stand up and come over there. I was just about to. It's like, come on, man. You know... As you leave this weekend, what is God looking for from you? God's not looking for you to just sit here in church. God doesn't care that you came to this retreat. He's not like, you're so awesome. You're singing the word. He's got thousands of angels singing to him. What he's ultimately looking for you in the end is to stand up. For Jesus. What you gonna do when you go home? There are many believers, but how many people are out there on your campus taking stands for Jesus? How many of us are out there? We're gonna leave today ready to go, amen? You know, on Friday, we talked about Peter at his crossroads. Let's look at what Peter did next. Go over to the book of Acts. Come on, bro. Let's just start in Acts chapter 1. Look down in verse... Look down in verse 14. This is what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. It says, They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Isn't that awesome? Peter who denied Jesus. Peter who was like, guys, let's just go back and, and, and go be fishermen again. What is he doing now just a few days later? He's standing up. And he's talking about, guys, we need to appoint another apostle to replace Judas. Flip the page to Acts chapter 2. We know the day of Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit comes, and thousands of people gather. And it's that moment. What are the disciples going to do now? They're there. Jesus is gone. The rubber is meeting the road. Acts 2, 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed 
The crowd. I love that right there. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are out preaching the word. They go right into the temple courts and they preach the word in the temple courts. The only trouble with preaching the word in the temple courts is that's where the Pharisees work. That's where some of the Pharisees even lived. They had temple guards. You know, I wonder if that was like mall cops, you know? They're like kind of cops, but not real cops. Sorry if there's any mall cops in here, but, you know, they're riding around on the Segway. Yeah, they had the, the temple guards who come up and they arrest them. They didn't care that the Pharisees were there. They didn't care that the Pharisees crucified Jesus like a month before this, a couple months before this. And, And they preached the word about Jesus. And then they get thrown in prison. What happened to Jesus after a night in prison? Well, now Peter and John spent the night in prison in Acts chapter four. And and the next day, the rulers take him out. Verse eight, what would you be thinking after a night in prison? Would you be ready to take a stand for Jesus? Jesus told him, you're gonna have your cross to bear too, Peter. And what does he say in verse eight? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to said to them, rulers and elders of the people, he's talking to Caiaphas, he's talking to all the Pharisees. He says, if we're being called today to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. They ask him one question, and Peter cuts right to the chase. He says, I know what y'all really have us here for. Let's get down to it. Let's get it on. And he took a stand for Jesus. It's awesome to see Peter, who denied three times, who who turned right at the cross, turned left at the cross. But Jesus restored his faith, hopefully like you've been able to have this weekend. And his response is to stand up, stand up for Jesus. We need to go and do likewise. My first point for you guys. This is our last chance, y'all. We're about to go back to the real world. Right? We're about, to, we're about to go back without all these people, without maybe as incredible worship. Maybe some of you are from campus ministries where you're the only disciple on your campus. I've been there up in Boston before. You know, and, and we're about to go back to the real world. This is our last chance to get inspired. So if we're going to go home and take stands for Jesus. We got to get inspired by the word right here. My first point for you on how to take a stand for Jesus is bring your own guts. Do we got any Clemson people in the house right here? You know, Clemson, the Clemson football team just won the national championship. And the Patriots just won the Super Bowl, right? And so anyways, anyways. But when, but when Clemson was playing Notre Dame, this past season. It was a big win for them. And they asked Coach Dabo Sweeney. I got a friend who just got a puppy up in Boston. 
and he named the puppy Dabo. It's awesome. But they asked Dabo after the game, what did you tell your players before the game? And he said, I told them, I told them, boys, we give you a lot of stuff. We give you, we give you scholarships. We give you meal plans. You know, we give you an awesome gym, the best trainers. We give you great coaching. We give you really nice uniforms that you guys love wearing. But we can't give you guts and we can't give you bravery. You got to bring your own guts tonight. You got some awesome campus ministers in here. This has been an awesome retreat. But when you go home, you got to bring your own guts on campus. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at some verses today. Some, some scriptures in the New Testament that talk about taking stands for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll begin. You got to bring your own guts. You know, this whole, this whole chapter is about the resurrection. And Paul just preaches about the resurrection of Jesus. And he puts the stakes really high. He says, man, this is what it's all about. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, there ain't no point to all this that we're doing. Right. We're going to be pitied more than anybody else. But look at how he starts and ends this chapter here. Verse 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold Firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Look all the way down in verse 50. He preached about the resurrection a bunch. And he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In, the fla in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death? is your victory. Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you're saved, if you're going to heaven, you got nothing to be afraid of. You can live a fearless life. You can go on campus and have more guts than anybody else. Since we got to stand firm and we got to let nothing move us. I know people on campus are pretty bold, aren't they? People can be very brazen about sin. You know, people come up to you, they start talking about frat parties or whatever, and man, they got guts. We got to have guts, too. It takes guts to take a stand for Jesus. 
You know, remember, I, I don't know what it is that makes you afraid. You know, we all have fears. For me, some of the things I have fears about, it may sound funny, but spiders, man. That's real, bro. I saw some spiders over there. I saw some spiders over there by the cafeteria the other day. I was like, man, we don't have spiders that look like that in Massachusetts. I don't like the look of that spider right there. That looks like you can jump all the way over here to me. You know, I didn't like that right there. I remember, I remember last summer, Alexander and I went on vacation to see her parents in South Florida, and we were swimming in the ocean down there in South Florida. And I just always feel uneasy about sharks when I'm in the ocean. And then about 20 feet in front of us, I saw a big sand shark slap its tail around. And I just started backing out of the water. I was like, Alexander, we need to get out of the water right now. She's like, what? I just saw a sand shark. She's like, oh, you did? Yes, I did. I just seen it right there in the water. And she was like, don't. She was going back in. I was like, baby, trust me, please, do not go back in the water. <laughs> this is what we're here for. We're supposed to be at the beach, you know? And she was like, I think you saw an invisible trout is what I think you saw. <laughs> Honey, I saw it. Yeah, I remember last summer, I, I hate scary movies. I don't know about you guys, but I, I tried watching a scary movie. My friend, Nick Peacher, who leads the campus ministry with me in Boston, a few of the guys, we had a little sleepover hangout thing, and we started watching this movie, Oculus. And I, for some reason, was in the mood. But then everybody fell asleep, and it was just me and Nick. And I was like, 30 minutes, 30 minutes in, I was like, dude, is this going to get a lot worse? And he was just grinning at me like, and so I'm the kind of guy who watches like with my whole face covered. I have my sweatshirt over my face, you know, and I just have a crack showing a little bit. That's how I do it, for real. I don't even care. And, and, uh, and I was like, all right, dude, I think I'm gonna have to go to bed. And we were in the basement and, and I was going upstairs to where Alexander was staying. And, and so I walked to the other side of the basement. I'm going up the stairs and I did something I haven't done in a long time since I was a kid. I took two steps up the stairs, and I started running up the stairs, running up the stairs. And I dove in the bed with Alexander, she said, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. Alright, you guys are with me, right? You guys have fears too, right? Fears are real, aren't they? I'm talking about the fears that grip us all. The scripture says, let nothing move you. Yet there are so many fears that run our lives, men and women. They sway us in so many directions. You know, being afraid of what people think of us. We talked about that. Being afraid to stand out. You know, being, being afraid. We have all kinds of insecurities. If I do this, if I do that, I'll fit in. You know, being afraid to trust in God. I think it's just a huge thing. Some of us probably even were thinking about walking away from the Lord this semester, giving up, you know, and, and a lot of that's probably based on fear. A lot of us go on campus and the world is bold with us, but we're so shy about Jesus because we can be afraid. But we got to be the fearless men and women on campus. We got to be the most fearless people on campus, we got the most reason to, but we're outnumbered. 
And that makes it tough. It just means you got to have more guts. You got to go to the Lord in prayer in the mornings and bring your own guts on campus week. Our campus ministries here in the southeast, they rise and fall on the amount of guts you take back with you to campus. Some of you still feel weird about calling yourself a disciple or a Christian. Some of you feel weird about standing up for convictions in class that are biblical. Some of us still feel sentimental about who's lost and saved. And when you look at the way Jesus talked about who's lost and saved, he actually wasn't sentimental with the Pharisees. He, talked to the Pharise- he didn't talk to everybody, but when he talked to the religious guys, he went, you Pharisees, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And then when you convert them, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Because they weren't teaching people to follow Jesus. And he wasn't sentimental about that. He wasn't afraid to say, when you guys convert people, you're actually not really converting them. You're making them twice as much a child of hell because you know the word and you have more of a chance as a Pharisee and a religious leader to repent. They don't. They're just taking your word for it. And he wasn't sentimental about that. Yeah, we can be afraid and our fears and the world around us can press in and can make us that way. We can be petrified. It's just to tell somebody about Jesus. You know, we had a bold, very bold woman of the Lord move to Boston this past year. Her name's Heather Falstad. And, and Heather, she graduated from, from uh, Radford out at the Virginia Tech ministry there in Blacksburg. And I'll tell you, this girl is bold. What's been cool is that she's been helping our campus girls in Boston to get bold. You know, we got this real quiet girl who goes to Harvard named Elizabeth Kinones. And Elizabeth, she's very quiet and she'll share her faith. And, but Heather walked around campus with her a, a bunch of different times. She's like, all right, you got to go share with everybody at that bus stop, you know, and, and Heather would do it and show her how to do it. And then we got to go knock on all the doors on your floor. And she's like, all right, all right, you know, and, and Elizabeth would go do it with her. And then Heather went, can I come into your class with you? And she dropped her off a of class. Can I come into your class and share my faith with your class? And Elizabeth went, ah, I don't know if that's the best idea, but I'll go do it this time. And Heather, or Elizabeth got in front of her whole class. About 20 minutes later, she texts Heather. She said, I'm trying to text you, but my hands are shaking right now. I did it. I shared it my whole class. You know, Heather, she also leads a women's Bible discussion at a, a, a kind of a few women's colleges, Simmons and Wheelock and some small universities in Boston. And, and she inspired those girls. You got to share your faith with everybody in the whole cafeteria. Something that's really never been done before at those small liberal arts colleges. And those girls, they got up and they did it. And I love that because Heather's an inspiring example. But these girls got to bring their own guts. I don't even care if you don't have a campus minister. You can still bring your own guts to campus. You can still have it. You can still have it inside of you. Anybody can do it. You can do it. These are the marks of disciples on campus taking stands for Jesus. What's it going to look like on your campus? You know, this retreat has been awesome. But what guts are you going to bring back? My second point for you guys is you got to suit up. I know some of you are feeling, you feel fired up right now, but you know, you can't take a stand for Jesus on accident. It's serious stuff. And some of you feel fired up, but you might not be ready. You got to be prepared. You got to get ready. 
You know, I love all this, all the Marvel superhero movies. Come on. I do. And you got all these different kinds of superheroes. But one of the ones that, that, that this kind of idea of suiting up makes me think of is Iron Man. You know, he doesn't have any superpowers. He's not an alien from outer space. He didn't have a nuclear reactor do something to him. No gamma radiation. He doesn't have super healing mutant strength or something like Wolverine, who's my favorite one right there. He's just got the suit, you know? And the tagline when the Iron Man movies came out, I remember the tagline, it was, heroes aren't born, they're built. I think some of us, we can sit here and we can feel like, man, I'm not like, I'm not like some of these guys up here leading songs, baptizing people. Our campus ministry, it's not like that campus ministry. And man, I just, but truth be told, if you just get suited up with the right stuff, man, you can do incredible things. God can do anything through you. I want to show a scripture real quick right here. Look at 1 Peter 3. Come on, bro. We got the scriptures, bro? Check this out. 1 Peter 3. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6, but let's read this one first as we're studying out 1 Peter. First Peter 3.13. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. That's what we were just talking about. But there's a second part you've got to figure out. It says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, Peter says, we got to be prepared when we go on campus. I love Ephesians 6. It's another verse that's talking about standing firm. Ephesians 6, let's start in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here's another aspect. If you're going to take a stand for Jesus, you got to get suited up. you got to be prepared. you got to put on the full armor of God. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. We definitely aren't going to be able to break down all the different pieces of the armor of God. But I just want to talk about two of you guys in this point right here. I want to talk about the last two. The sword of the spirit. And we got to talk about the helmet of salvation here today. You know, I love the sword. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
Y'all have it. Anybody can have the sword of the spirit. Anybody can wield it. Anybody can carry it. Yeah, I remember when I was a, <clears throat> I was a senior in high school, and I, man, I, I, was, I was really feeling a lot of temptation on, cam- on campus at my high school. I was feeling a lot of temptation. People were persecuting me for being a disciple in high school. And, and uh, I went to prom, and honestly, the church really wasn't doing too well up in Boston at that time. There wasn't really a lot of girls to take to prom. So I ended up going with this girl from my school who I was just friends with, which wasn't an awesome idea. But I told her when we got there, hey, I'll dance with you out here, but I'm not going to grind. I'm not going to dance like that, which was kind of a foolish move on my part because I probably should have warned her of that in advance, you know, and I didn't. But but we get there and I drop that bomb on her, you know, and she's not a disciple. She's not a Christian. She's not trying to live like that. And pretty soon at prom, my senior prom high school, I start hearing Different people talking about me behind my back. But they're all around me. We're all on the dance floor. They're all like, did you hear what Jesse said? Did you hear what Goldman said? See, he's not going to dance with her. Like, what? What? He's so weird. What's wrong with him? People started calling me gay. All my lacrosse buddies. I remember they took this girl who was one of the prettiest girls in our school. Who never really would have showed me much attention. And she was drunk already at prom. And they kind of pushed her up onto me. And she was down in that moment. She was ready to dance with me. And I remember like, dang. And I just had to push her away, you know? And the guys were watching what I would do. They were like, dude, we know you're gay, man. <laughs> dang, dude. And, you know, I was struggling. And I, but I was all right. I prayed before. I knew what it was going to be like. I went in the bathroom. I went into one of the stalls. And I pulled out this pocket Bible that I had in my tuxedo. Come on. You know? I know some of you might have heard that story this past summer, but, but that's what this scripture makes me think of right here. I pulled my pocket Bible out. You gotta have your sword on you. You gotta suit it up. And I just read some of my favorite scriptures. Do you have some favorite scriptures? And somebody was asking, what's some of your favorite scriptures? Could you even say some of the verses that you just love that are in your heart? Do you even have them? I don't even remember what they were back then, but I read some of my favorite scriptures. And I prayed, and I went back out there, and we did that thing, man, for the Lord. But I I wasn't going to do it if I wasn't in my word every day as a senior in high school. I wasn't going to be able to do it. If I didn't suit up and bring the word with me. You know, when you go on campus, you got to carry your sword with you. It doesn't matter. I love this about God. It doesn't matter if you're unpopular. It doesn't matter if you're short. It doesn't matter if you're unathletic. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're shy. If you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. You can carry and wield God's word on campus and you can be a preacher of the word at your school. And I love that about God. You know, you can suit up by knowing God's word and you're Iron Man or Iron Woman. Let me ask you guys something. Do you know that the word of God 
is not being preached on campus. It's just a reality. And maybe there are some groups out there, but for someone who's been involved in campus ministry, and, and I, I'm in a committee with Perry and a bunch of campus ministers from around the country, and it's just a reality that the word of God is not just being preached on campus. You know, I have other Christian groups reach out to me and evangelize me sometimes. And this is how it goes. You know, one group came up one day and they asked me what I was doing and I was reading my Bible and, and they said, well, hey, can we do this exercise with you? We're doing a leadership training thing for our campus group. So sure. When they put out all these photos on the table in front of me and they said, choose three photos and describe kind of what they mean to you. So I chose one that reminded me of like, I don't know, animals or something because I love animals and one that reminded me of Alexandra and one that reminded me of my relationship with God. And I explained that to them and they went, cool, it's awesome. Well, hey, it's great to see you reading your Bible and you have a great day. I said, oh, hold on, hold on. What was all that for? Oh, this is what we're being trained with, they said. It's kind of just an icebreaker, just a conversation starter, just to get into good conversations with people. That's just not wielding the sword on campus. You know, I have people come up to me and really awkwardly interact with me and not say a word and, go, and then hand me a, a pamphlet or put it on my car windshield. And it's just three verses on everything you need to be saved and become a Christian. That's just not preaching the word. That's not teaching people who God really is. You know, we had a girl at Harvard the other day who overheard a phone call that her friend had. And her friend is involved in a different campus group on campus. And her friend was getting into a conversation about how they can get more people to come to their Bible discussions that they do on campus. This is not our campus ministry at Harvard, but a different one. We have Alpha Omega at Harvard. But there's this different group, this girl, Lauren, overheard her friend talking. And her friend started going, pretzels? And she's like, what is she talking about pretzels for? And this girl's going, you think the way that we're going to get more people to Bible talk is if we have pretzels there? It was like Alan Iris doing practice. You talking about pretzels? And Lauren just kind of chuckled to herself because Lauren gets out and she invites her friends and she realized, man, I need to talk to that girl. I need to reach out to that girl because that girl sees Man, we're not really teaching people God's word here. Yeah. We're talking about pretzels. <laughs> Y'all, that's the reality, isn't it? Yeah. We got to get off campus to be the preachers of the word. We have hundreds of college students here right now. The odds look pretty good to me. If you wield the sword on your campus, God wants you Take the sword of the Spirit onto your campus. Amen. Studying the Bible with people. Right. You know, I know we got some large ministries in here. And you may feel like a small ministry compared to them. It doesn't matter. Preach the word. Right. Amen. It doesn't matter. Go on your campus. Be brave and preach the word of God. Amen. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's talk just for a quick second about the helmet of salvation. You know, you can, in a spiritual battle, in a real battle actually, you can take maybe a wound or a shot to the arm and still live. You can take a wound or a shot to your ribs and maybe even still live. But you can't take a headshot 
and still live. You got to have that helmet on. And God says, that's what salvation is. If you don't have salvation, if you don't have the forgiveness of your sins, you're dead in the spiritual battle. You're done. 1 Peter 2. Look at verse... Whoops, I'm the first thing. Here we go. 1 Peter 2. Verse 4. Well, let's start in verse 7, rather. It says, Now to you who believe, the stone... The stone's talking about Jesus is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, it talks about how Jesus and the cross and the message of salvation. To some people, it's awesome. To others, it's a stumbling block because they have to face the fact that they are lost, that they're in the darkness. And he goes on to say, but you guys, you are God's people. But then he says, they weren't always that way. That God called them out of the darkness and into the light. That at one point, the Christians that Peter was writing to, at one point, they used to not be God's people. They used to not be Christians, but now they are. They used to not have mercy and the forgiveness of their sins, but now they do. Something happened right. where they went from the darkness to the light. There's no gray area in there. And from what I hear, there's a lot of gray area in the southeast when it comes to salvation. From what I hear. There's no gray area in the scripture, in God's word. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. You're either saved or you're just lost. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell right now. That's what that scripture means. You know, it's really inspiring to hear how many people came to this retreat studying the Bible, trying to figure out God's word and how to get saved and if they are saved or not and where they're at with God. Don't wait to right. figure it out. Right. And there's a guy that just became a Christian in Boston a week ago. His name's Nathan. And Nathan's girlfriend, Brooke, was reached out to last semester at Boston University. And she started studying the Bible. And towards the end of the semester, she realized, I'm, not, I'm lost. I'm not a Christian. And Nathan, her boyfriend, was more of the spiritual leader in the relationship. He was more of the religious one. Went to church more. Now, truth be told, Nathan was out in, he wasn't in Boston. He was at a school in Arizona. And he pledged through fraternity. Sigma Chi, he was getting drunk, he was acting crazy, you know, even in their relationship, they had some stuff they needed to repent in, not really living like Christians, and so Brooke called him up at the end of last semester and said, I'm not really a Christian, and I'm trying to get saved, and you're not really helping me, and I think we need to break up, and Nathan went, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's talk about this. You know, he's a smooth guy. 
He looks kind of like a cross between Tom Brady and Leonardo DiCaprio, if you can imagine this guy right here. <laughs> so he's, he's a, uh, that's high praise. <laughs> but he, he said, hey, I'm already thinking of moving out to Boston to just to be closer to you. He said, hey, what you're telling me about this church and about these Bible studies, this sounds like I need to do this too. I need to come out and I need, I need to meet these people. So she, you know, was still wrestling and trying to repent and, and they came back from winter break. He moved to Boston, transferred schools. She got baptized at the beginning of the semester because he started studying the Bible and in three weeks he studied the Bible and he got baptized three days after she did. Now the two of them are dating purely in the kingdom. Alexandra, she studied the Bible with Brooke. I studied the Bible in those three weeks with Nathan. But you know what? We weren't even there for their baptisms. We had to go out of town for like five days for a funeral. But they didn't wait to get baptized till we got back into town. They, they kept studying the Bible. Nathan had a long way to go in those five days. He kept studying the Bible with other guys every day until he got right with God. And Alexander Skyped in for Brooks' baptism. You know, yesterday with the men, we had a decision time. It was awesome. About 15 men got up at the end of, at the, end of the lesson and they said, here's the decision I want to make and I'm saying it publicly. And I heard that there's about 100 different people in here today who are studying the Bible, trying to figure out if they're lost, if they're saved, if they need to get baptized, if they need to repent. There was only one brother who got up and said, the decision I've made is that I need to get baptized. And it was that brother who just got baptized today. Come on, man. But if there's about 100 of y'all out there, how come only one man got up and said, I'm making the decision when I walk away that I need to get right with God and become a true Disciple of Jesus. Don't wait. You got to go back. And you got to figure yourself out with God. Let me show one more verse real quick on this point. And then we'll close it out. Galatians 3. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We're talking about getting suited up. If you're going to take a stand for Jesus, you got to get suited up. One of the things some of you need to do is you need to get baptized and get clothed with Christ. Right. You can't take a stand for Jesus until you get suited up and clothed with Christ. And here's where we're going to end things right here. We're going to take a stand for Jesus as the Southeast Campus Ministries. Point number three is join the revolution. Come on, bro. Join the revolution. You know, coming from Boston, there's a lot of revolutionary war history out in Boston. You know, and if, if y'all ever come on up to visit, you're going to see a lot of, uh, just a lot of historical figures buried there from the Revolutionary War. And it was an inspiring time, some of the things these men and women did. It was dangerous, it was scary, but they started a real revolution. It was awesome. But one of the things they talked about a lot 
is they said, united we stand, divided we fall. If y'all are going to take stands for Jesus, it's not going to really happen the way God wants it to happen until everybody gets united and we stand together. You got to join on up in the revolution. Let's end in 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5, verse 8. Look at what this says about taking a stand. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world, throughout the whole southeast, is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. What helps us to take stands for Jesus when we know we are part of a revolution? When we know we're not the only ones out there preaching the word, wielding the sword on campus, taking stands for Jesus. When we know we're a part of something so much greater than ourselves. Just like the Revolutionary War. You know, there's a painting I have in my house. And it's of the street in Boston. And this street in Boston, it's this really old cobblestone street. And it has this, this pub called the Dream, or it's a tavern called the Green Dragon Tavern. And it's been around forever. And in the basement of that tavern, during the Revolutionary War, revolutionary leaders like John Adams would meet up. Like Thomas Jefferson, these guys, they would meet up in Boston. And they would talk about revolution. If you ever learn about the Sons of Liberty, they would meet in the basement of that tavern, planning revolution. The Boston Tea Party was planned in that basement. Paul Revere was sent out from that basement. And the whole point of them getting together was they were trying to unite and get more and more people to join the revolution. You guys have something special here in the Southeast. I really believe that. Yeah. I was walking around Kennesaw State the other day when I showed up here with Tom. And as I walked around, we ran into disciple after disciple after disciple. Some were sharing their faith. Some were on a prayer walk. Some were on the way to class. We ran into a Bible discussion going on on campus right there. And I was blown away. Because in Boston, we have the same amount of of students in our ministry as Kennesaw does, but we're spread out at like 12 different schools. So we never see each other. We're like a, a 30, 40 minute train ride away from each other, which is fine, it's a city, but it just means what you guys have is so special. The impact you can have, the revolution you can start, the light you can shine for Jesus on these campuses, these large campuses, it's incredible. But let's talk about God's dream of revolution for a second. I know, I know. Everybody's always talking about Tom McGurk and Kennesaw State. I know. Everybody's always talking about that big campus ministry. And we got, you know, Perry and his, their awesome group over there at Columbia. And we got the big ministries here in the Southeast. But I know there's more than that. Is God's dream simply that it would look like that at Kennesaw State? No way! 
I'm talking about down in Myrtle Beach. Got dreams of revolution there. I'm brought up in Wilmington, USCW. Got dreams of it there too. Out at Auburn University. We're talking about, we had the shout outs in the beginning and we felt a little bit bad for Alabama because there were few. But God dreams a revolution there too. What about Mississippi? What about it? God dreams not just of a few, but of a family of believers. That's what helps us make a stand together. I don't care how few you are. I don't care how small or insignificant you feel on campus. You got to go back and feel one at heart with all these brothers and sisters that you're a part of revolution. Last slide we're going to look at. Last verse here. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, what you're a part of is even bigger than just this. You got Peter in heaven cheering you on. You got Moses in heaven cheering you on. You got Jesus cheering you on. As you walk on campus, that's who watches you. Cheering you on to take your own stands for Jesus. And as we end, I want to read you the song lyrics that this sermon title was named after. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer lost. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict, in this his glorious day. Yet that our men now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength the post. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor and watching unto prayer where calls the voice of duty. Be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To him that overcometh, a crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory shall reign eternally. Get up and get out there and stand up, stand up for Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 That was awesome. That was, I'm flat fired up 